everybody here? Okay. Um, y'all, I have the handout on this next uh, discussion is pages 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, this might be the most substantial one as far as content, so um, I hope I get through it all. Let me begin with the question I was thinking about earlier and show you with the paradigm we're working with. <clears throat> Here's a good question to ask. It's at the top of your handout. You know, if, if, a, if a woman is always, quote, the finish line, okay, how can she be happy? If a woman is always expecting you to arrive, you know, mentally, financially, emotionally, you know, make it to the finish line and keep going, because every time you, you reach the finish line, guess what it is? It's your new starting line. In a woman worldview, wherever you end up, you're still outside the garden. I mean, it's like a rat, you know, rat's race. That's kind of basically her expectation. Okay, if she's wired toward the future, what makes her happy in the present tense? So on this, on this paradigm here, um, you're working... And Jonathan, this kind of answers your question earlier. On this pair, on the horizontal axis, you're actually initiating and working and doing all these things, and, you know, in a sense that she's the beneficiary right there, okay? And so, and she's the inspector general. She's the judge. She's the jury, whether she likes her or not or approves it or not and all these things. And so on the, on the axis of time, she has a greater glory because she's, she's the finality. She's the finesse and all these things, she's the sensitive judge and jury of it all. Where on the axis of the vertical axis, this is where her joy comes from. This is where, you know, the, she can, she is actually satisfied if she has a good vertical axis in her life in this sense. Because he has a greater glory on the vertical axis. And this is part of the matrix of creation with the sun and the moon. They were the rulers in the border of heaven because this is uh, outer space is a barrier. It's a border. So you can't see the highest heavens. And those rulers are ruling over their kingdom, the world. Those rulers are, you know, shining their light. But this is a greater light. That's a lesser light. And the sun represents the man, and the man represents the sun. The woman represents the moon, and the moon represents the woman. Okay. Now, let me justify this a little bit more. This is not me or, or somebody putting, you know, um, illustrations out in creation. It's in the Bible. Let me justify this and it, it, explain it to you this way. In the days of creation, you had this structure where they square up like this. On the second day of creation, there was that barrier that was put in. And then on the fourth day, God put those ruling stars in the barrier. On the sixth day of creation, there's a barrier on earth called the Garden of Eden. We talked about that in the first lecture. And this chiastic structure points out what God's doing. What he does in heaven, when he fills the starry heavens, He's going. what he does in the heavens, he's going to replicate on the earth. He puts his rulers in the sky in that position. He's going to put his rulers on earth in that position, in that barrier. That's one way to defend what I'm saying. Because I'm trying to scratch your itch of saying, well, where did you get that, Pastor Eric? Where's that in the Bible? You know, you are good Bereans. You want to know where the Bible gets everything. Another, another place in the Bible to get this point, this, med- this illustration, 
and defend the matrix here is uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. You can look at it later. This is where Joseph says, hey, I looked at the constellations. There's 12 constellations. That's what the stars are there. And y'all are all bound down to me, including the sun and the moon. And then Joseph's father and his mother say, what? We're bowing down to you? Even you know, me and daddy and I? And they understand that the father is Joseph because of his relationship to the son. And then, I think it was Rachel, his mother, is the moon. She's bowing down to Joseph. So in the ancient world, there's that symbolism. Now, so what you, what you, when, you, when you start chewing on this, the beauty of this, you start seeing like, yeah, this is really, really real. Because think of the masculine nature of the sun and the feminine nature of the moon. Here's a list I want to go over with you. Number one, the, the moon has a greater and stronger light, obviously. The, room, the, the, the sun, the sun m- m- uh, rules with its strength. He shines work in the daytime so you can get to work. He's like a father directing you out of your bed and get to work out there in the yard and stuff. Um, the light of strength and provision. He, he, he is providing like a father uh, in the sense of providing for the world. Okay, There's authority to him, the sun. You think about this. You cannot go up and stare at the sun. What is this, the sun? His massive authority forces you to kind of walk with reverence outside with your head down. You don't ever look directly at that, at that sun. He has so much authority. Um, also the sun, you think about this, fertility symbolism. The sun is always shining. The sun is always ready. There's no phases to the sun. Um, a woman in her fertility cycle, she goes through phases. Just like the, the moon will go through phases and shades. She's, there's a time of the month where she can, she's in ovulation and she's easier to uh, give birth, conceive and give birth to a baby. The moon has a full moon, and also a new moon, okay? So there's this correlation there, even in creation. The the moon has a lesser light. It's weaker. It's more sensitive. The moon's light is is sensitive. It's nurturing. It's for comfort. It's for care, like nighttime. There's a delicacy to it. There's a gentleness to it. And also, what you can do to the moon, you can look up and go, wow, she's pretty. (laughs) You can stare and gaze at the moon, Um Every wife loves for her husband to say, wow, baby, you're sweet, you're pretty, I love you. Gaze at her. That's the, you know, so we're using this, you know, like that because when you realize that God's setting up things in the matrix of creation, you can utilize this in a, in a helpful way and it actually explains um, some uh, roles of man and, and women. So... <clears throat> Let me keep going with my notes here. Let's go to the next page. Here's where I, I made the matrix yesterday, showing that the more that the man and the woman do their duties of sensitive glory, ruling, helping rule in the house with her delicacy, with her sensitivity. And here's, I need to make sure you all understand this. On day four, the, month, the sun rules and the moon rules. The word rule is used for both of those. But one has a greater light, one has a lesser light. And so there's sensitivity, there's a glory, and he has to have his, his sunlight. So let me, that's pretty clear. Let me get to the applications. And how does, it, how does this apply to man and your man and your role and your authority in the house, um, the heavenly hierarchy, and how is this going to actually satisfy her in all this? Number one, 
See, this is kind of a focus on her, the, the ver- horizontal axis. Vertical axis is going to be maybe a focus on you and your role and your position. Number one, I would say this. Increase, this means increasing, increase your sunlight. Increase, that means increasing your value and your strength is the primary way that you can have a happy marriage with the future. She needs, she needs a man of strength and she needs a man of value. And you think of all those categories looked at later, of this category, that category, that category, that category of strength. Uh, she's weaker. She has a lesser light. But if she is with a sunlight that is massive and is illuminating her world that she's helping to, to care at nighttime, then she's happy. That is what's going to bring satisfaction to Mrs. Future, uh, is the authority that comes from heaven. You know, symbolized in in your role as as the the man of the house. Um, here's a couple of notes here. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, the stronger you are in all areas of your life, the more your wife will look up to you. The brighter, more valuable you are in her eyes, the more value she feels about herself. This is extremely important. Here is the sun, okay, and here's moon. Say lesser. One's greater, one's lesser. She has to, for her to be happy, she has to be in a position where she is always looking up to the sunlight. If she is ever in a position where her moon is up here, whatever it is, and symbolized by that, and she is actually looking down on that because he is so dim, she will actually hate you, she will devour you, she will do everything she can, because, and she'll blame it on you. And she'll divorce you and take everything you got. This is, this is where it gets to hell. I'm, I'm just saying that that's how, that's how it all goes down. And, and it'll be your fault in her eyes because you were not up there. Why? Because you're a man. It's what you do. Guy go commercial. All right? And so she, the only way she can be happy and satisfied and content is if there's a greater light in her life <clears throat> that is illumining her world and... And she derives value and and personal feeling of confidence from that greater from that greater light. Um, here's a couple notes. It's impossible for a woman to love, much less desire, weakness in any form. That's serious. She's already a weaker vessel, and if somebody comes in weaker than her, it is repulsive to her. Okay. The only thing that's going to pull or attract her is someone above her and and desirous. Now, this is where a guy named Rolo Tomasi made made one word very popular in certain circles, but he did good in name and giving it a name. And the name he uses is hypergamy, which means hyper means high, gammy meaning marriage. A woman has to marry higher. A woman has to marry someone stronger, higher. She looks up to in some sense in her eyes. This is why, naturally speaking, most men are high or hot, taller than, than women because she wants to physically even look up. But if, she, if she's taller, if you have a, t- a wife that's taller than you, she's actually looking up to you in some form or fashion. She respects you. If she loves you, she respects you. She looks up to you because you're intelligent, you're strong, you're smart. Um, you're ambitious, you're going places, you've done something. Look at that man that I'm with. And this is why 
One of the best ways and the first ways you can ever love your wife is make your sunlight as strong as possible in all areas. And um, because she needs to, and I I know this, that that this this is not science in the sense that we're just looking at how the lights function. The Bible is looking at the function of the lights and what they're doing. We know scientifically that, yeah, that everything is circular and revolving around the moon scientifically. But let me go ahead and use a scientific metaphor. You have to be the sunlight in her solar system. In her romantic and emotional solar system, there has to be gravity that, that is coming from you that is pulling her and saying, and she is like, I'm with the sunlight. I am with the man in my life. I am now happy. Because she has all this anxiety down here. On the, you know, time is moving on a greater glory, but when she has a greater glory of, of the sunlight, then that romantic and emotional solar system that she is in has gravity, and she is now being served by him who is dominant. This is why a, a woman will never tell you, I want you to be dominant. Why? Because she wants you to get it. She wants you just to be dominant, become dominant, become this man who creates a world that for her to be involved in and therefore then she is she is happy to be with that strong man okay now as, as you well know where do you get your ultimate strength is from God is from Jesus Christ the foundation is spiritual and all these things but this stuff is to radiate physically emotionally financially vocationally all the ationalies you can add to the to, to the equation um, so keep going on with these notes here There's a poem. Remember I said that she will blame you and hate you if you're not doing what you ought to do because you're a man. That's what you're supposed to do. There's a quote from John Milton, and I don't, I don't have it with me, but let me quote it for you. In Paradise Lost, John Milton, he has this conversation with Eve and Adam, and she's blaming him for all this fall because he, you know, stuff. And John Milton says this, Thus it shall befall him who to worth in women over-trusting lets her will rule. For restraint she will not brook or tolerate. And let to herself, if evil thus ensue, she first, his weak indulgence, will accuse. That poetry means this, is that he let his sunlight down um, and she, got, she would get so mad and blame him for doing it. And she let, he let her do it, you know, in, in John Milton's, mine you know in his commentary on he let her do it and then now she's blaming him for letting her do it she's going to blame his weakness for her fault for her for that so welcome to the world of marriage so um here's another thing too on the spectrum of a woman's life a woman's desire she will desire earlier in her life male seed and later in her life male sustenance this is why at an earlier stage in life, a woman at 20 years old, she is going to be romantically attracted, she's going to be sexually attracted to the dominant man, the, the man who she's physically attracted to. Later in her life, when she's 50 years old, she's going to be attracted to the man who's going to provide for me. Who, I, I'm concerned about my caretaking, my, you know, all these things that, that her hypergamy, or hypergamy, however you want to call it, uh, it she, this has got to be satisfied. Her desire to, to marry up 
okay, and have that, that dominance over her. And this is a dominance that is attractive. It's a dominance that is desirable. This is not something you can force feed or force and, and be a jerk about it. I'm the man. No, no, no. If you can't, and, and some people use it, you do, if you don't have the game to angle in and help, and so that she responds with a willful, hey, I'm going to open up to you, my heart, my soul, and my body, um, I'll open up to that. If you can't do it in a way that's convincing, persuasive, attractive, romantic, and angle in, then you're not the man. That, that you haven't, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't get it. So, so that's, that's the, the dominance that I'm talking about. This is not a dominating tyranny thing. It is a, it's a way that God attracts the church. You know, he's the man. He is the Jesus. He died for my sins. And so Jesus doesn't force us. We all come to believe in Jesus because we want to. Because the Spirit of God enables us and gives us that ability. And we say, yeah, I love Jesus. And um, so none of us ever say, you know, we were, you know, um, you know, you, know you, you don't get that. We, we're not, we do it at our own will because God gave us a new will. I'm not an Arminian. I'm just telling you how it works. Okay, don't crucify me. Okay, uh, okay so the, okay, go to page nine. Here's where we're going to get to you, help you on some solutions. Here's a question. The woman's going to ask forever for the rest of her life, She's always going to wonder, how bright is that sun? Uh, is he really above me? Can I trust him? And what she's going to do every, from the day she wakes up to the day she sleeps in the morning and every conversation that you have with her, she is always going to be testing you. You're never going to be out of the testing phase. And so what I mean by that is this. She's going to talk to you and she's going to lean on you somehow. Um, she is always going to depend she's going to challenge she's going to question uh she's going to be you know how are you are you sure about that and she's going to lean on you and 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 you have to understand that's how she's going to respond and act because she wants to find oh i got strength i got i got the strength from him she has a sensitivity she has to have the strength from you so you think about this if here's your notes as well if she ever fights or argues or yells, um, it's, it's always and usually an expression of some fear of a lack of strength or some fear of a lack of trust or a lack of something that's not the sun and her solar system is not providing. And so she's fearful about something and so she comes up there and she's really wanting you to come in there with strength to, to, to calm the situation. The de- here's the thing. The degree of... Str- uh, the degree to which she trusts and has confidence in her man, is the degree to which she will be peaceful and happy. That's what I'm getting at. We see this axis of time where it seems like she's not happy. It seems like she's not, you know, never satisfied. Well, she comes up here and tests the moonlight, tests the moonlight, and he, he comes in with his romantic dominance, his trustworthiness, his wisdom, his skill. He says, calm down. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. I promise you. And then she's like, oh, okay. Because he knows, he gets it. He knows what to do. He knows how to angle in on what she needs. And he's proven that over and over again. She's tested that. And the more tests that he passes, then the test gets simpler and simpler. And she stops questioning it. But if you fail a test and you fail a test, and she's like, I sense, 
I, I, all I see is weakness. All I see is weakness. Then, then she's going to get, she's going to, her, all of her anger, all of her anxiety is, ne- is nothing more than a cry for strength. That's all she's looking for, really. And it reminds me of Presbytery. I'm on an examining committee of Presbytery. We, we're like the, uh, the girl, I guess. You know, we're testing the guy out. And we're asking him questions. And he's like, uh, if he's like, uh, ju- justification by faith? Um, I, I think it means, um, and dude, if somebody says, can't answer that question, the whole Presbytery jumps on him like a woman. And it's like, what? You tell me, th- and, and all the questions start coming down, you know, because... <laughs> Because we're the, we're feminine in that, in that equation there, in the sense that we're responding, and he's failing the test, and we got anxiety. Uh, that's exactly what a female does, you know, in a microscopic level. When he can answer the question uh, rightly, pass the test, and get it, and, and scratch all those itches and all those other stuff, then she's calm, she's happy. All right, this is going to be help. Let me give you some tools, okay? If you got a problem. You know, uh, in, in, or a socket wrench. You go to a toolbox. You got to find the right tool, and you tell you you got to you got to first do this. You have to name the tool. The reason why this is important is because one of the greatest powers that you will have in the sunlight in your life is to name something. What I mean by it is this: this. She comes up to you. The moon comes up to you with with a with a situation, with a character trait, with an attitude, with a complaint, or with a concern, or what you name it. That's right. okay. Yeah, that's the point. Name it. If you can't name it, or what she's doing right there in that moment, then you've lost control. You're going to be like, what? You know, you do the knee-jerk reaction. But if she comes up to you and you instinctively realize, oh, you know what this is? This is a comfort test. She needs comfort. And you, you, and you can do this intuitively. Okay. If she comes up to you and, and she's stressed out, it's a stress test. Stress test. She's got stress. She's looking for her stress to be neutralized. Um, I call this the all right test. Every morning we about, we about go through this. Sweetheart, is it going to be all right today? We've got to do this. We've got to do this. Sweetheart, absolutely. It's going to be all right. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about? Maybe I'm the only one. But, but the, that's the all right test. And, and listen, and I don't care, I don't care how bad it's, it is or where it's gonna, how bad you feel. She doesn't really care how bad you feel. Um, because she wants to feel good, okay? And you got to come in there, even if you have to lie, and you have to say, hey, it's going to be all right. And after you lie, you go back and read Romans 8, 28, and you realize, oh, I didn't lie. It is going to be all right. Because that's what the God, God promised, okay? I'm being facetious here, all right? Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you I, was, I was on my honeymoon with my wife. I was about to lose my job and um, not lose it, but I was... I was I put in my resignation. We were, I was going to go find another, be another pastor somewhere because it necessitated. I had to leave in six months or a year. And then she says this on our honeymoon. She says, um, so what's going to happen after you lose your job? I said, you know what? I know for a fact that it's going to be fine. I know for a fact it's all going to work out. And I'm, I'm totally confident with it. And she, and here I was trembling inside, thinking, what in the world? I said, oh, my goodness. You know, all that anxiety. But I knew if I shared that anxiety with her, it would kill her. It would just, she would think, who the heck did I just marry? I didn't marry a man. I married a child who can't make it work. But I had to move forward in faith. And sometimes in your, in your mind, you're thinking, this is a lie. 
But no, it's the faith that the future is going to be better. And, um, and that, that's the, I, I remember that for, for my, all the years of my marriage right now because how many times have I had to come in there and say, don't you dare worry, this is going to work out, I promise you. And then, by the grace of God, things work out. You know, y'all have all had hard times. I've had hard times. But you, that's, that's what she, she's testing you. Um, and this is, this is where the name helps. When you can identify the test, and let me tell you this, doctors, the job of doctors is to name something. They name it, and then they come, come bring a prescription. They name um, um, a, a behavior, like, you know, I don't know who named the, the term bipolar uh, or manic depressant. There's all these names that psych- psychologists are observing creation and saying, oh, here's a name, here's a name. They're like Adam, naming things in the garden. And the reason why they're naming it is so they can find another name, a prescription, and apply it, apply to it. But if you're a, a nameless man and you go into a marriage and you can't name this, 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 and all, all that your wife is doing, how she's reacting, then you can't pull your toolbox out and say, this, this works there, this angle in there, the screwdriver works here. And so one name, another name, I want to give you, then it came from, and again, this guy Rollo Tomasi made it very famous, is the name Frame. And Frame is what I, what I would call, uh, it's an attractive dominance, and it is, it, Frame is this, you can say, um, your reality Meaning this, that whatever you do, whatever you create, it has framed her. And she is within the frame of this dominant man who loves me, cares for me, I can depend on him. And there's, there's, that, that's what frame is, means. It's kind of like the picture, it comes from a picture frame, where the picture frame is this, and the woman is on display. And she is fit right within the frame, and she's happy to be in the man's, in the man's world that he is providing, the sunlight that he is, and, and, and she is orbiting around his frame. You can say that in that way. And so these, these people, if a, if a woman goes off and sleeps with another man, goes off and divorces or whatever like this, uh, she, that man lost frame. Uh, that man uh, couldn't maintain her desire. Or whatever, she, whatever it was, she, she said, this is not a reality that I want. I need to escape. And you know, it could be sinful and all this stuff, but either way, bottom line is he lost frame. And so your frame is going to be tested, positive or negative, and all these other things. And uh, you want to, the goal is to maintain frame, uh, to be the sunlight in her solar system. Let's keep, me, keep moving on. And I'll say this. This is one reason why feminism will always produce and only produce unhappy women. Uh, here's another application of this. Feminism thinks that the moonlight can become the, star, the sunlight. Feminism is trying to put the burden of responsibility on the female and that's and, and say basically to replace the sun, to kill the sun, put the sun out, and now we got women ruling everything. So, And that's why whenever you meet a feminist, you're never going to meet a very, very happy, joyful, you know, glorious feminist. Um, she's going to cut her hair, you know, like a... Like a man or something, and she's going to be a, she's going to be angry like a man. It, all these things because she's designed primarily to be the glorifier, the receptor, the receiver, and and um, and so this really helps helpful explain the the tragedy of feminism. 
Now, let me give you some strategies right now to maintain frame. Just like the Westman Confession of Faith, whenever you, there's encouragements for obeying the Ten Commandments and there's discouragements. And so it's kind of like these boundaries, and a woman needs those boundaries. And here's the, here is the positive strategies for maintaining frame over a woman, given her reality that she wants to flourish in. Number one, joy, humor, laughter, fun times, celebrations, activities, parties, gatherings, adventures, vacations, time for work and time for play. You have to create. That's what you gotta initiate. This is why you're going to work and you're providing for the family. You're, and, and if, if she has this world of a family to live in and, and all these positive things, then she's like, she's basically saying, I'm in the frame of, of this sunlight and it's great. I would, I would increase, I would add, anything you do to improve yourself is going to improve your frame. The reality over her. So I would add good exercise and good diet to your doctrine of sanctification. Okay, um, all that is helpful for for her answering the question: Am I attracted to this guy? Um, all that's helpful for her encouraging her to say, "Hey, I like being in this man's frame, in his world." Um, you need to increase. All of us, all of us, all of us need to increase levels of maturity in all areas. You, we're always in a place of becoming, okay, learning and growing. And there's another, another, there's another term. I'm borrowing this from those guys like Rolo guy. He says, DHV, you need to demonstrate higher value. Demonstrate it. Speak well to your wife. Dress appropriately with her. You know, if you're always dressing sloppy, again, she's rendering that final verdict in your life. I hate your clothes. I hate the way you look. I hate the way you smell. Or, you know, you think, oh, this is no big deal. I'm just, you know, but no, you know, you, this is natural. You know, you got to clean yourself off. You have to demonstrate high value as a man if you're going to attract the moonlight and, you know, all that. Um, here, here's another thing, a very practical thing. I think it's something that these guys have picked up on that I've studied a little bit. And his is helpful. Never say, never say to her and never say to others, Man, I, I married up. I married up. Look who I married. The problem with that is, is, is when you say that, you're putting her way up here in the moonlight, and she is, she's basically saying, I married down. She doesn't like to marry down. It kills her hypergamy. Better to, it, it devalues her. Because if she married a down man, if she married someone that looked to look down upon, and you and she's way up there, all this glory, all that kind of stuff on our heavenly heavenly hierarchy, then then it devalues her because it brings her look look at the chump I married, he's so down there. That's what it's psychologically saying, and these words are these words matter. If you're ever married to a girl, your words matter. You better say this. You know we we both married well. It's, it's true, it's humble, and it keeps your status. We both married well, and we have a great thing going. You see, you, you, there's a way, there's a game in which you can angle in to um, keep her sunlight, your sunlight, shining in her life. Here's some, so those are some, uh, I would say, some positive strategies of maintaining frame. Here's some corrective strategies. When I, when I say corrective, let's say she... She starts doing things that, you know what? You don't do that. 
And how do you correct her with various strategies? Well, you need to have some tools in your weaponry as a husband. Number one, the first weaponry you need to remember is never argue or fight with a woman because it doesn't ever, ever go anyway. What I mean by that is, if ever you raise your voice and you start yelling, you start screaming like that, then all of a sudden her, her sensitivities, boom, are, are triggered. And she is all about, she's not going to hear your logic. She don't care about your logic because it's how you said it. So you need to talk with her. Don't yell at her and don't scream at her because all you're going to do is spiral into to the hell of a, of a um, emotional chaos, okay? Sometimes it's best to, you know what, just walk away. She says something, sometimes it's best to say, I'm just going to ignore her right now and get to it later. Sometimes you may say, sweetheart, we're going to talk about this later, not now. Because you know you're not strong enough emotionally, you're tired, and we'll talk about this in one hour, not now. It's a delay tactic. Uh, this is going to help you maintain frame because you're going to talk about this in your angle, and you're going to help her come to a conclusion, uh, the right one. Uh, sometimes you need to engage. Okay, let's talk about it. But you talk about it the right tone, but you got to have a self-awareness to know, is this the right time, place, and all that stuff to talk. Also, if you want to become most like God, I would say, is use humor. God laughs at his enemies in Psalm 2. Um, if you can hear her objections or she's doing something, she's challenging you and you just need to smile and say, baby, listen. If you can use humor, use grin, uh, use that as kind of a version of amuse, amuse mastery, you can show that, hey, I'm maintaining frame here and I'm not going to let your fit, your rage, you know, disturb my stability. And, and, and that's going to neutralize her and calm her down. Uh, a couple worst-case scenarios. If a, if a family, if it gets really, really bad, okay, I've heard a term people use called agree and amplify. Uh, if she says, oh, my goodness, you know, for example, you're such a jerk for, for doing what you think is right. Yeah, I'm a jerk, and um, I do what's right. You're right. You know, at, at the point is, is that sometimes it's helpful to nicely and diplomatically show that strength, show that you're not fearful of her. A weak man is fearful of her, but a strong man considers her opinion, takes it into account, calculates it, and can, can get in there and engage with her and say, I get it, thank you so much, and let me make a decision. But he's not fearful of, of being handcuffed, handpecked, and neutered and castrated by the girl he's with because he knows he can step forward and he's, he's trained her to trust him. That's the, that's the challenge there. Um, and, so, and so agree and amplify could be a strategy sometimes in your toolbox. Number seven, there's two extremes I want to talk about right now. If you are a nice weakling, then you need some confidence to stand up to her. If you're a weak narcissist, then you need some humility to keep her. And here's two ditches I want to explain to you. And there are two forms of weakness. And it's in, that, in your handout here. And the sunlight is in the middle. There's a weak ditch on the right side of your handout. There's the sinful weakness, a man who's too passive, uh, too sensitive. You know, he cries all the time. And when, even when he does something right, he says, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Okay, or, or whatever, you know. Um, he's not confident. He's not a stable-minded person, and he's all emotion. All right, that's a weak ditch over there that a woman will, will never be attracted to. Okay, and that's, that's one side. 
The other side of weakness is a counterfeit strength. A counterfeit strength is is what? Anything that's counterfeit is not real. A counterfeit strength is, is Mr. Narcissist, who's all about himself, and he is like, yeah, I'm the man. You know, it's all going to be about me. And this is going to answer your question, Jonathan, earlier. If he's over here on this ditch of a narcissist, he's insensitive. He don't care what she thinks and all this other stuff. He may have you know, won her and attracted her over a weekend or something like that, but then she's, she realizes she's married to a narcissist. She said, I'm divorcing this guy. I'm out of here. And what that is, though, it's a, it's a type of weakness because he can't say, you know what, you're right, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. You know, I'm right, I won't do that again. I apologize. Um, a strong man can admit that he's wrong. He's not going to take it personal that she's pointing it out. And if it's personal, he's going to, he's going to stomach it and he's going to say, okay, you're right. Because he's respecting her greater glory, her finality, her judgment of, of him. And he's listening. He's listening. And he's a strong man can handle sensitivity. A strong man can handle the sensitivity of the final judgment in his real life. Uh, a, strong, a, a weak man says, I don't want to deal with sensitivity. A weak man says, I don't want to even want to think about what she thinks. I don't even want to consider what she's doing. I don't want to even want to think about her response. I'm just going to force it on her. I'm strong. Well, that's kind of like, you know, you think about this. That's like, like a type of rape. You know, we use the word rape for, um, you know, a man who pushes himself physically on a woman. Well, a narcissist is, a, is like an emotional rape. He is going to force himself, you know, in his way, uh, emotionally on a woman, push him, and, and it's not going to be any romantic attraction or anything. And what it is is that counterfeit strength is actually a weak man on the inside uh, he's hollow, he's shallow, uh, there's no substance, and she, and she will eventually see right through it and say, I don't have a man who gets it. I don't have a man who arrives at me emotionally, and uh, I, I need a man who just simply gets it, whatever. you know. What so, so the strength zone there is in the middle, um, but I think that this, this, this bracketing that I'm giving you helps you to maintain frame, um, and the reality of that. I've spoken a lot. Any questions on all this? Any feedback that I can help you with? Um, but that's the power of naming and all that. Yes, sir. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, yes, yes. Um, the Seeker Family Church is this, it's just, it's a feminine type of church. They're trying to attract the world with moonlight, you know, they're, they're just feely, sensitive, whatever. But a church that says, providing masculine sunlight, and we're here to care, we're here to preach and, sh- and serve, you know, we, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, an attractive way. This is why you have to have men leading the church, serving the church, and women can come and, you know, glorify that, you know, flourish in that. And also, it, it explains to you, like, the, the why is this girl attracted to the bad guy and uh, she knows it's wrong for her? Well, she, she found some strength, and especially in her younger years or adolescent years. Uh, she's attracted to the man with physical strength.
This is why when you're young, I really, it is really important to get physically strong when you're young because when you get older, it's more and more difficult. Um, but that, that is, that's an important ingredient to, to being a man. Is, you know, if, if, I'll put it this way. If, you're, if your woman can beat, you, can beat you in arm wrestling, she will divorce you in, 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 in normally. Okay? If, if, if she can beat you up and take you down, then she hasn't married a man. All right? Um, and she hates it. Oh, my gosh, she hates that. Later in life, she's going to gravitate more to, it, it, he's providing for me. I, I need something. So, so that's where you can go from, she goes from the desire for the man's seed to the man's sustenance. And the sad thing in a fallen world right now, what men will, what women, wicked women do, they'll pursue this man for sex and this man for the sustenance, that is the, the financial. She'll say, oh, I could, I'll have sex with this guy. But I'll go and marry this guy. And that, this is where hypergamy has been split. And this is what Rolo talks about a lot, where it's a very difficult world right now where a lot of women, they'll go in, in their younger years, get that from this guy. And then when she's 29 years old, she's thinking, okay, I had fun. I got all that from these guys. Now I can go and marry uh, the guy who can just provide for me. A righteous woman seeks both of these in one man. A righteous woman says, I'll get my, my romantic desire satisfied from this one man and my provision and my, uh, my, my needs you know, be, you know, from this one man. And that's, that's the challenge that men have today is, is you know, because you, you live in a world, a very complicated world now. Okay. Any more questions on this? Yes, sir. That's 316, right? 316? I have studied that for years, and I'm more and more convinced that what I'm, what I'm going to tell you is most accurate to the text. And there's a prototype of this, and I'm going to get to it. In the context right there, first of all, there's a prototype of redemption. Um, God cast down the serpent from a, from a beast of the field to the, to the dirt. He promises to crush the head of the serpent with the seed of the woman. And then God, what he does is he, at this stage of history, in a prototype fashion, he destroys the works of the devil. Right here. And that's what he does in Genesis 3. 316. Because what happened? How is he destroying the works of the devil? The devil has destroyed this marriage. Okay? They're divorcing. They're dividing themselves. There's a lot of... And, and, and also, the, the woman had a desire for that serpent. The woman traded this husband for that husband. The woman traded that man's word for that serpent's word. And she was, spiritually speaking, attracted to, desiring, and spiritually speaking, in an affair with that serpent. And this is the only reason I can understand why God it says this, that God put enmity, hatred between the woman and the serpent. He is pulling that woman away from that serpent. And then he says she he says you will desire your husband. He is he is God is renewing the desire 
for her husband, putting her back. And this, this serpent, remember, he took control of the marriage. He, he became Mr. New Husband, a, a counterfeit husband. And God says, serpent, get away. Adam, you rule over her. So he is restoring the woman's desire. He is, he is repositioning Adam into a husband role and putting them back together so that what? They, she will be fruitful and multiply because death penetrated into her womb and killed it. This is why all the women in the Bible, and, you know, in Genesis, not all of them, but, you know, the women in the Bible are barren, 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 barren. Death entered her womb implicitly and so that she could not have children. And so Satan is dis- destroying everything here. And God is coming into the, the garden here and says, hey, you know what? I don't care if the devil put death in there. You're, I want to create a miracle, and we're going to multiply your conception. Um, and so I, I, that's what I'm getting at to answer your question. I think that in the context right here, God's restoring the marriage. Now, true, a woman's desire in a sinful world can be perverted, manipulative, and things. But what you, some people interpret this to say this, that, oh, what God is doing, he's judging the marriage and making them dysfunctional. Well, my argument is that, no, the devil already did that. When you read the context there, it's already dysfunctioned. He's blaming her. She's, you know, uh, they're, they're got their clothes, you know, they're fig-leaving each other. They're separating each other. He's a jerk. Um, all, Satan's already destroying the marriage. God is coming in there and putting the marriage back together. And this is all prototype, prototypical of what Christ does in, in his casting down the serpent, Revelation chapter 12, crushing the head of the serpent, and even destroying the works of the devil. So God's just fixing the marriage. Um, I thought a lot about this, but I think that's, 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 that's a, to me, that makes sense of all the details in the context there. Any other questions on anything or this? Yeah. Let me demonstrate it. Let me demonstrate it. That's really funny. And you're laughing, I'm laughing. Anytime you, you can humor something, there's a way in which humor is heavenly, where humor is kind of a, uh, you're, bringing, you're bringing heaven's presence down. And what I mean by heavenly, it's, it's um, you're bringing some, some so you're showing some kind of joy to the situation. And what I mean by humor is not you're laughing at someone, um, you're, show, you're showing to someone, hey, it's okay. You know, you're trying to model what they what they want to do. If you're laughing at someone and you're, you're sarcastic, I did not mean at all sarcasm. You know, no, I'm not advocating that. But I'm trying to show is, is that if there is joy in a family, then there's humor, there's joy. Edwin Freeman talks about this in the book Failure of Nerve. He talks about the, the freedom to play. And where, where there's a lot of anxiety in the family, everything is so, so serious. You know, <laughs> there's no joy, there's no humor, there's no room for relaxation, there's no play. And to, he, I think in that book, Failure of Nerve, he says that the degree to which they can, they can play and have joy and humor um, is the degree that they can handle, you know, tragedies, try, uh, hard, hard things, uh, because their playtime is, is expanded. And um, does that make sense or not? Yeah, I 
What, what, what are you really asking in your question, maybe, in thought? Yeah. I do not mean at all sarcasm where you're putting someone down. I've seen this before in some relationships. There, he, uh, Sarcasm will continue. It's like a defense mechanism. I'm defending myself with humor. Therefore, I can say whatever I can against you and put you down and injure you emotionally. That's not humor. That, that is, that's a weapon. That's a false humor. Uh, what I'm talking about is, is when we're, we're laughing, we're, we're having a good time, joy. That's my, that's my definition of humor. And I guess whenever, if you ever have in a testing situation where a woman is testing you, I think it's helpful that if you can come in, if you can show that, sweetheart, it don't matter how much you hit me, slap me, or whatever, it's not going to hurt me. All right? it, it's kind of, it's, kind of it's, it's showing that I have strength. It's not showing, I'm not using it to put you down. I'm, I'm showing you that I, I can handle it. That's why, that's the, all this stuff is like a razor's edge. A knife is always going to cut. It's a question of does it cut good or does it cut right, or you know, good or bad. That's the best way I can, I guess, answer that. Any other questions on this? And we'll, um, all right, we'll pause and come for the last session, which may not be as long as all the others. So, y'all go and take a break.